Paul says, first of all, that they fall into temptation. Secondly, he says, they fall into a snare. Those who love money and those who want to get rich fall into a snare. After yielding to temptation, now you're a victim. Now you're a victim of your own greed and you are trapped by your own sin. And you speak to people and you meet people who love money and they are trapped. They can't get out of it. They never have enough. If they do one thing to make money, they've got to do another thing. They've got to do another, and they don't know when to stop. And they're always competing with someone else. And they never know the limits. This business deal is not enough. They have to do more and more and more and more. And they are trapped by it. They have fallen into a snare. A snare is an animal trap. They are a victim now. They are not in control. They are trapped. They are slaves to their own sin. And Paul says this leads to many foolish and harmful desires. verse-by-verse broadcast, we are in a series of messages titled, God's Standards for Church Leaders. On our previous broadcast, we talked about loving money. I noticed Pastor Steve was very careful to point out that having a salary or paycheck, while being necessary for a pastor, does not constitute a love of money. We did learn why this standard, though, is so important. An elder could yield to the temptation of playing politics with people in the church to get more money, or he could just become close friends with those who have money for the purpose of getting financial favors from them. Now that's wrong. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our speaker on these verse-by-verse broadcasts. He is also the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like more information about Lakeside, please head over to lakesidechapel.com. Right now, though, Pastor Steve is ready to start with today's teaching. An elder can yield to the temptation of playing politics with people in the church to get more money. He just becomes close friends with those who have money, and that's wrong. That doesn't mean he can't be friendly with those who have money, but he can't be friendly for those reasons to play politics so he gets favors or anything materially from them. Obviously, he can yield to the temptation of pocketing some money for himself. Many pastors have done this. In fact, the pastor is infamous for people who run off with money. He could yield to the temptation of charging for his ministry. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things, charging. Everything has a price tag on it. And there are men in the ministry who will not come to speak at a church or a conference or even someone who has a singing ministry will not come unless you guarantee them money. I really believe that's wrong. I understand that they have to have their costs covered, but I believe that's wrong. And I have to deal with this in my own life. And I just have a very simple policy. I put no charge on my ministry. Never. Now, sometimes there are people who will give towards my ministry. We're talking about outside the church now. But I never ask for it, and I don't want to expect it. And I don't do it for money. I just don't do anything for the sole purpose of making money. If I did that, then the dynamics of the ministry would be gone. And quite frankly, the joy of the ministry would be gone. It would be a burden. And I really believe that those who charge for their ministry are spiritual prostitutes. Because what they are saying, in essence, is I want to get paid for you to use my spiritual gift. And I really believe that's wrong. That's prostitution. It may not be with the body, but it is with the spiritual gift, and that's wrong. So, Paul says, first of all, that they fall into temptation. 
Secondly, he says, they fall into a snare. Those who love money and those who want to get rich fall into a snare. After yielding to temptation, now you're a victim. Now you're a victim of your own greed and you are trapped by your own sin. And you speak to people and you meet people who love money and they are trapped. They can't get out of it. They never have enough. If they do one thing to make money, they've got to do another thing. They've got to do another, and they don't know when to stop. And they're always competing with someone else. And they never know the limits. This business deal is not enough. They have to do more and more and more and more. And they are trapped by it. They have fallen into a snare. A snare is an animal trap. They are a victim now. They are not in control. They are trapped. They are slaves to their own sin. And Paul says this leads to many foolish and harmful desires. The desire to be rich leads to other sinful desires. That's what he's saying. It's not enough that the desire to be rich is sinful in and of itself. But if you follow that, you will also develop more sinful desires. For instance, you could desire, and I'm speaking about someone in my role now, to desire to pastor a large church just for the fame and fortune of it and popularity of it. That's a sinful desire that comes as a result of the desire to get rich. An elder could desire to impress people with what he possesses. We're just applying this now not even to elders, but to anybody. Desire to impress people with what you possess. I know a pastor who was never satisfied with his salary. No matter what he got, he was never satisfied. And it drove him to seek all kinds of material things. That's all he ever spoke about. All he ever spoke about. And it never satisfied him. And he really, quite frankly, lost his ministry because of this very issue of sinful desires. Instead of keeping spiritual concerns as his priority, he began to have things dominate his life and he lost his ministry. He had no ministry because ministry wasn't really part of his vocabulary. That's addressed in Matthew chapter 6. This is very important for an elder. Very important. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be too. If your goal is to make money and never satisfy with what you have, that is where your heart will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If you're more concerned about your bank account than you are about your ministry, then that's where your heart is. And you've lost your ministry. You have no ministry, whether you have a label or not or a title. There are other sinful desires that come as a result. Back to 1 Timothy 6. There's a desire to be treated as a special character rather than a servant. The desire to be rich and famous and well-known develops in you that sinful desire to be a celebrity. And your attitude is, how can they treat me this way, rather than, I don't deserve anything. There are some people who make people feel sorry for them in order to get something from them, rather than giving of themselves. And their whole ministry is based on, I need a handout. And they disgrace the pastoral ministry. The ultimate result is found in verse 9, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The word plunge is used in Luke 5, 7 to refer to a sinking boat overloaded with fish. In other words, a man who pursues money is a sinking man. That's the imagery here. He is one who is sinking into the depths of despair. And verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. That is, it leads to heresy, it leads to wrong doctrine, and pierce themselves with many a pang. 
grief-stricken, conscience is pierced. Pastors need to be reminded of Matthew chapter 6. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, now through 34. Let me just read it to you. And I think all of us need to be reminded of this, especially men who might be considered in the future as an elder or our men who are elders, including myself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and and the body than clothing? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course it is. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. Neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious, then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles or pagans eagerly seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The point here being, you take care of your ministry and seek the righteousness of God, and he'll take care of your needs. That's the point. We live in a very material world and a man who is caught up in that materialism and pursues it and can't live without it. Or his wife pressures him that she can't live without it and he succumbs to that. Is not qualified to be an elder. He's not qualified to be a leader in the church. The church is a spiritual ministry and it doesn't need people who want to get rich. So that is the financial area that a man needs to be blameless in. He's not in it for the money. Let's move on to verses 4 and 5. This is the family area. This is very, very vital. And this is where a lot of men would be disqualified, even godly men, because this area is not in order. Verses 4 and 5, 1 Timothy 3. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The way a man runs his home is an indication of how he would run the church. That's what he's saying. So the home life of a man must be observed before a man can seriously be considered for the position of an elder. You see, many men are chosen to be elders in a church based on how well they run their business. You hear a lot of this. You hear a lot of talk about, well, he's a good administrator. He runs his business. He knows how to handle finances. Let's ask him to be on the board. But God doesn't make that a basis for being an overseer. Why? Because overseeing the local church is more like managing a family than it is like running a business. Because the church is God's household. It is not a business. It is not an institution. It is a family. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3.15, this very chapter, he says that the church is the household of God. God is not really interested in how well a man manages his business. What he is concerned about is how well he manages his family. And I hope you understand that because the family and the church are very close. Because the church is a family. There are some men who have great administrative skills and good business sense, but they are failures at home. Absolute failures. They don't communicate effectively with their wife. 
nor do they communicate with their children. They don't take time to listen to their needs. They are insensitive. They are unthoughtful. And if you're like that at home, you are going to be like that in the church. Now, before we look closely at these two verses and see what they mean, I want to go over a little bit what they don't mean. First of all, Paul is not saying that it's necessary to have a wife and children or a child to be an elder. That is not the intent of this. Paul was an elder. In 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, Timothy, the elders have laid hands on you. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, I laid hands on you. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether Paul was married or not. But from the scriptures, there is no indication that Paul was married. No indication. And yet Paul was an elder. There's no indication that Timothy was married. And Timothy was working with the elders. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if a man is married, and if he has children then he's to have a well-ordered home. It's just something he assumes because most men are married and have children. That's a general pattern of mankind, but not necessarily God's will, individual will for everybody. If a man would become an elder before he was married and have children, then once he does get married, if he does and has children, then he has to be evaluated again in the sense of how does he handle his home. And if he can cut it, then just because he's on the board is no reason why he should continue on the board. He should not continue if he can't handle his family. Secondly, Paul is not saying that the man's family has to be perfect. He's not saying that. All families have struggles and problems. Pastors' children are not going to be perfect. Now, people know that theologically, but oftentimes they treat pastors' children and elders' children in the church as if they're not normal kids, as if they can't have struggles. One of the things that I have sought to instill in my children is that they are to obey and do what's right, not because of who I am. That's really not very important. They are to do what's right because of what God's word says. So you understand it's the motive. I don't put it upon my kids that you have to obey and you have to be right because everybody's watching you. That's really unimportant. What is important is that they are to be right and obedient because God's word says that. Not because I put additional pressure on them. Not because their father is a pastor. I wouldn't want anyone putting pressure on my children or any elder's children to behave because they are the pastor's children. That can breed resentment, and many a pastor's child has had that resentment build up in them for the ministry because they are told that they have to look good so that their dad looks good. That is a sinful motivation. The standard for them is the same thing as the standard for every other child in the congregation. That's very important. Paul is not saying they need to be perfect. There are no perfect families. He's not saying that they are free of struggles. So we understand that. So what is Paul saying? Well, let's look at the phrases. In verse 4, first of all, he says, he must be one who manages his own household well. Now, this goes beyond children. It includes them. It goes beyond the wife. It includes her. The word manage means to stand before. It means to rule, to lead. The man is the leader of the home. He may delegate responsibilities. His wife obviously has to manage some affairs, but under his management... Any man can rule a home, but what Paul is saying is that he must rule it well. Notice in verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well. And the word well means not just intrinsically good, but that it's attractive. It's beautiful. That's the thought here. There are two Greek words for well. The word here that means that it is outwardly good. In other words, he manages his home in such an attractive way that it is obvious to everyone. That what characterizes his leadership in his home is attractive and right and beautiful. Now, 
Paul is saying beyond the children and beyond the wife, the household would mean everything that's entrusted to him. It means that he's a good steward, basically. He's a good steward of his finances. He's a good steward of his property. He's a good steward of the people in his household. He's one who handles those things well. He's got his home affairs in order. He's not one who's bankrupt. He's not one who can do things financially. He's not one who has everything out of order in the home. He's one who takes care of the things that God has entrusted to him. And it would include his wife. It would include his children. But it goes beyond that. He is a responsible steward. And that's the thought here. But secondly, Paul says this. Keeping his children. Now he emphasizes the children. Because God's people are his children. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. An elder must be a man who controls his children in an honorable, respectful, and dignified way. That's what he means. His children must be obedient and they must be submissive to him. Doesn't mean that they're never going to have some rebellion. Doesn't mean that they're never going to do things that are not rebellious. That's why he is to spank them. He is to discipline them because they do that. It means that the normal pattern in his family is that his children respect him. His children obey him. His children are submissive to him. In fact, he must nurture them along so that they are this way. No child is born into the world. Being like that, they must have nurturing along that way. Now, this reminds me of an Old Testament character who did not do this. And this is Eli. Would you turn back to 1 Samuel, way back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli apparently had some very good qualities in his life. He was the high priest to the time of Hannah and then Samuel. And Eli must have had some good qualities in his life because once he understood what was on Hannah's heart and in her prayer, he treated her with dignity and with sensitivity and respect. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, we read this though. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. And you know what? The problem was not only that they refused to believe, but Eli was in sin concerning this. Chapter 2, verse 22 through 25. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tents of the meat. In other words, they were involved in sexual immorality. That's what it means. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. Now listen, folks, when your children are grown, and they're involved in fornication, you don't just say, Why do you do this? You should have disciplined them a long time ago so that they wouldn't do this. And it's not that they just fell into sin. This was their lifestyle. And he said to them, why do you do such things? It's kind of a milk toast attitude. And the evil things that I hear from all these people. In other words, he didn't even know what was going on. People had to tell him. Horrible. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. And then he goes on to say some things about that. But what I really want you to see is First Samuel Chapter 3, verse 13. God says this to Samuel, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. It means he didn't discipline them. doesn't mean he just didn't speak to them. He didn't deal with them. They were foul. They were vile creatures and he did not deal with their sin. He didn't deal with their sin from being young children. And now they were adults and they were priests and they were laying with women and disgracing the Lord. So when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is saying that the man's children must be under control. 
That is, they rank under him. They are submissive. He nurtures them along. If you look over at Titus chapter 1, there's a question exactly what Paul meant in this. In Titus chapter 1, which is another list, very similar to the one in 1 Timothy, Paul specifically says in verse 6, If any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. That expression, dissipation or rebellion, simply means they're not those who are wild and live lives in complete rebellion to their father. Now, the question that scholars have, and it's a debated issue amongst Bible teachers, is Paul saying that they must be believers? It said children who believe. There are many who say that, that when a child of an elder comes of a certain age, it's expected that he would be a believer. What that age is, we're not sure, but that an elder must have children who come to faith. That may very well be what Paul's talking about. There are others, and many good men, who say this word means not believe so much as they must be faithful. Faithful in the sense of respectful, not wild. There's no guarantee that an elder's child is going to be a believer. So they say Paul is simply saying that he must be a faithful son or daughter, not somebody who is known as wild and unsubmissive, but obedient and faithful to their dad and his leadership. Regardless of exactly what Paul meant, we know in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that this man is expected that his children would be under control, and he does it with dignity. So an elder is one who rules over his resources well, controls his children so that they are submissive. But notice the end of verse 4 in 1 Timothy 3. It says this, he must keep them under control with all dignity. Now that's really important. The man carries himself, and this word, by the way, carries with it a perfect blend of dignity, courtesy, independence, and humility. All that is wrapped up in that word. What is he saying? He rules his children with class. He doesn't beat them into submission. It doesn't mean he doesn't discipline them, but he's not one who walks around with a big wooden racket all day long. He is not a tyrant. He is not one who has to scream at the top of his voice all the time to get his children to do things. He's one whose children are brought into submission by him conducting himself in a dignified class way, a stateliness there. The submission of his children isn't gained by harsh punishment or angry oppression. He controls his children in an honorable, respectful, and dignified way. Anybody can beat their kids into submission. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking here that you do it with dignity, that your children don't just cower when you walk by. He's not a military leader. He's a father. Why is this so important for an elder? Verse 5, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If a man can't effectively shepherd a few members in his family, then how is he going to shepherd a local church? You understand what he's saying. If you can't take care of the two or three or five kids that you have, how are you going to take care of the 200, the 300, the 400, the 500? You can't. You won't make it in the ministry. Let me give you some very practical applications of this. If a man is too harsh with his children, he'll be too harsh with God's children in the church. If he's too lenient and he's not willing to effectively confront sin in his children, then he won't confront sin and deal with discipline in the church. You understand that? See, what he is at home is what he's going to be in his leadership. That's what Paul is saying. If he won't confront sin in his children's life and he just kind of feels like, well, it'll all come together, it's okay then that's the style of his leadership, and you can't have that. You must deal with sin in a local church level. We are coming to the end of today's verse-by-verse broadcast, and once again, we have heard some excellent biblical teaching that applies to elders and to all of us as well. 
As we learned today, an elder is one who rules over his resources well. His children are controlled and submissive. But we also saw a very important phrase in connection with this, with all dignity. An elder carries himself with a perfect blend of dignity, courtesy, independence, and humility. He rules his children with class. If a man can't effectively shepherd a few members in his family, then how is he going to shepherd the local church? Excellent teaching with a lot of opportunities to meditate on what we've heard today. If you would like to go back and listen to today's program again, please head over to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. It's a great way to listen again to some of the key points made in one of these broadcasts. That's versebyverseradio.org.